0: Hello, and welcome to The Conversation at Airsafe.com. I'm your host, Dr. Todd Curtis, and I'm also the creator of Airsafe.com, your reliable source of airline safety and security information since 1996. This conversation features an interview with Kate Hanai, one of the founders of the Coalition for Airline Passengers Bill of Rights. On December 29, 2006, she was a passenger on one of more than 120 American Airlines flights that were diverted to alternate airports due to weather. Passengers on dozens of those flights were forced to wait on board their aircraft for more than three hours. On Kate Henei's flight, the wait was over eight hours, an ordeal that included overstressed toilets, a lack of fresh air and fresh water, and an even greater lack of compassion from the airline. Kate did more than just complain about her flight. She and other stranded passengers formed their non-profit group with the goal of having legislation passed to ensure that this kind of event would not happen again. Her work and the work of her group has been frequently profiled by major news organizations. She's also testified to the U.S. Congress and the state legislatures around the country. Her efforts have not gone unnoticed. In December 2007, travel weekly magazine named Kate Hanai as one of that year's most influential people for positive changes in the travel industry. I was fortunate enough to catch her just before she was to speak to the Rhode Island state legislature. Here now is my interview with Kate Hanai from February 5,
1: 2008. Welcome to the conversation at airsafe.com. I'm here with Kate Hanai from the Coalition for an Airline Passengers Bill of Rights. How are you today, Kate?
2: Hey, I'm doing all right, Todd. I'm out here in Rhode Island and I'm getting ready to testify for their Airline Passengers Bill of Rights today.
1: Excellent. Uh, before we talk about the uh, testifying you're going to be doing today, uh, let us uh, hear a little bit about the organization. This is a, a nonprofit organization that's there to support the rights of passengers, correct?
2: That's correct. We are actually a 501c4 nonprofit, which means that we have the right to lobby. And so donations that come into us are not a tax write off for people, but it does give us permission to actually go into the government and ask for the rights for airline passengers.
1: Now although it is that particular kind of nonprofit organization, it does allow you to have uh, 501c3 nonprofits to work with you so long as they're not doing any direct lobbying of the government, correct?
2: Yes, it's my understanding that's true.
1: And I, I say this in part because as many of you know, I also run the airsafe.com foundation which is a 501c3 organization and our primary purpose is to provide education to the general public about aviation safety, aviation security, and passenger service issues, and that is right up your alley.
2: Yes, and in fact, I found your website years ago and and, um, was very familiar with your website because I utilized it when I went through a brief period of concern about air safety, and um, your site was very helpful to me.
1: Well, I'm glad that that we're providing that service, And, and, and let me just add that in the last four or five years, i found that far more interest is out there when it comes to airline service than it is with airline safety. Now, don't get me wrong. Everyone's concerned about safety, but bad service happens all the time, and the average passenger, myself included, is very likely to face one or more of the following, involuntarily being bumped, having your baggage lost, stolen, delayed, rude service, poor service when it comes to getting your reservation online or on the phone. All these things happen to every passenger, and that's where you come in and your organization comes in.
2: Yes, yes. And, and, you know, I believe that we're right on that cutting edge between service and safety in the sense that uh, I probably wouldn't have started an organization if it had just been a minor inconvenience that happened to us. But, our, our stranding event, which was on December 29th of, of 2006, was akin to a disaster, in my opinion. And I only say that because I witnessed and we witnessed people, um, you know, in sitting on the tarmac for nine hours after four hours of flying. So, you know, when you're looking at 12, 13, 14 hours in an aircraft without good food, potable water, uh, or any resources, people have a variety of things that happen to them. It could be psychological, it could be physical, um, diabetes, blood clots, um, uh, claustrophobia, uh, just, just a whole bunch of things, people running out of diapers, formula. Um, and we witnessed many, many medical events, which added to this general sense of demoralization as the service deteriorated and we realized that there was something very, very uh, lopsided about the way that the airlines are treating their customers. And, and I think the big misnomer, actually, about our event and the way that the press reported it is a bit unfortunate in that many people got the idea there was only one plane involved, and that would be my plane. <laughs> but And that's because there was so much reporting done with my flight number, but there were actually 124 flights involved. In fact, a lot of the passengers on those planes were upset and they felt disenfranchised because their flight numbers weren't mentioned and and some of the events that happened on the planes weren't mentioned. And so it's very important, I think, for people to know that, that an airline can make a simple economic customer service decision that is in their best interest that can have all of these unintended consequences that are very negative for the flying public.
1: Do you feel that your event was something that was unique to your airline or that any airline in the United States could have uh, run into the very same situation with uh, many planes at once stuck for hours in the tarmac? Uh,
2: Any airline in the United States could have it happen, and most of them have had it happen, and we are now um, tracking it in much the way that you track uh, accidents and disasters and you do an incredible job with the statistical reporting of those events, also showing, you know, in in some ways how safe flying is to some degree. We are showing uh, that these events where people are put on the tarmac are actually happening much more frequently than people thought and that the government has not required the airlines to report diversions or cancellations for time on the tarmac. Mm-hmm. And so people haven't been getting accurate statistical information delivered to them ever regarding these events and when they happen. And if it weren't for the media, and if it weren't for you and I talking about it right now on this, you know, podcast, and if it weren't, if it weren't for people sharing about it, no one would know.
1: Now, by the way, they can go, the public can go to the website flyersrights.org and find this information.
2: Yes, they can find this information. We have, we're about to do our next report card, which will be for the second half of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to show the hundreds of, of stranding events that have happened over the second half of 2007. Uh, and there were many hundreds in the first half of 2007. Right. And the government only reports 36 for 2006. That's how we discovered that that there was something amiss, was that, you know, there were 124 aircraft in my event, and yet the government came out with this statistic that there had only been 36 aircraft that sat on the tarmac for five hours or more. And I'm like, huh?
1: Now, let me uh, point out that if, as you pointed out before, this is not something that is required to be reported by the airlines, correct?
2: Correct. Or the government. The government doesn't require the airlines to report it. That's correct.
1: So the 36 who did report it, you're saying that the airlines reported that, or some entity other than the airlines reported that to the federal government?
2: The BTS. The BTS reported that 36 planes sat for 2006 prior to takeoff for five hours or more on the tarmac.
1: Oh, by the way, for the audience, the BTS is the Bureau of Transportation Statistics within the Department of Transportation. Yes. (laughs) Which has been a uh, very uh, useful source for airsafe.com over the years. But one thing I have to point out, uh, and this is something I pointed out in my book, Understanding Aviation Safety Data, you have to be very careful when you're looking at government statistics to first look at their definition. And beyond the definition, looking to see if certain kinds of things are required to be reported by the airlines or by the airports or by the air traffic controllers. And this is clearly one of those cases where the statistics are there, but there's no requirement and possibly no enforcement to make sure that these kinds of things are reported.
2: That's correct. And that's why I reached out to you uh, recently, Todd, and asked if you would you know, participate with us as well, because you really understand these air safety issues, and you have a fundamental understanding of um, an area of aviation safety that I have not gotten into as deeply. And uh, I think it's very critical that passengers become familiar with the lack of shoring up of our infrastructure and the misreporting that's going on in addition to that, and I see it as sort of a recipe for disaster. And I hope I'm, I hope that that's not an exaggeration. Um, I'm not trying to scare anyone and I'm not an ambulance chaser, but I'm very, very concerned about, about many of the, the near misses and the things that we're hearing about now and the air traffic control system not having been modernized and money's not being put into that. Um our, our group is committed to making sure not only that passengers are safe, but their dignity and their well-being is intact in- from the time they get on an aircraft to the time that they depart an aircraft.
1: And let me uh, back up a little bit for our audience again. In the interest of full disclosure, uh, late last year, uh, Kate's organization and uh, mine decided to uh, work with one another. And, again, AirSafe.com Foundation will be supporting the uh, the coalition for let me get this right now airsafe.com <laughs> foundation will be supporting the coalition for an airline passenger's bill of rights by providing insights into aviation safety issues as well as insights into how one should deal with public data such as what we're talking about now. So, uh, again, those of you who've been supporting airsafe.com in the past, uh, we'd love to have you support uh, Kate's organization as well.
2: Thanks, Todd, and and also uh, we feel the same way, and we're actually um, updating our website, and we would love to have people go to airsafe.com to understand, Uh, and we have actually referred a number of of our members who are psychologists. We have a a woman who's one of our members that runs a travel anxiety clinic that uh, I referred there, because your your site is where I went, actually, to get over my fear of flying after the Alaska Airlines flight, and... um, I didn't realize that till years later when you and I spoke, but uh, it's a very valuable site.
1: Well, thank you again. And, uh, I hope and
2: that, that, that our site can be that valuable to people as well, that we can, you know, really provide articulate information that, that people can grab and, and understand how often these incidences really happen. What is a real bumping? You know, like you and I were discussing earlier, what does it really mean when they say uh, a million bags are lost?
1: And uh, that's another sore point with me because, uh, as we talked about before, the statistics that the government has might be a bit misleading. And without going okay. into great detail, uh, the, the Department of Transportation in a recent report said that there are roughly seven bags lost per 1,000 in plane passengers. But uh, without going into great statistical detail, that seriously underreports the likelihood that your bag will be lost if you check your bags. How often or well, what percentage of the time would you say that your check bag is either lost, damaged, stolen, or otherwise uh, not treated the way it should
2: be treated? Me personally, it's been about 15%. And what I, when, I, when I say that, I'm also including that it doesn't arrive when it's supposed to arrive.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Like I will check in on time. Um, it's, it's not my error, that the bag actually arrives late. Um, in,
1: in most of these cases does the airline offer you any kind of compensation whatsoever nothing and nor are they required to offer compensation I might add
2: no they 're not and we believe they should be in fact one of one of the solutions that that I proposed and that I, I would I will continue to propose I believe it 's probably the only solution unless the airlines make a commitment to entirely updating their tracking mechanisms for bags is um, is some sort of a fine for every 24 hours that a bag is not with its rightful owner.
1: This will be somewhat uh, modeled after the rules that are in place right now with the European Union?
2: Yes, that's exactly right. The European Union has been the most proactive. They are light years ahead of the United States in terms of taking care of their passengers. And it did not, contrary to the fear tactics of of many people uh, of the airlines and the ATA and many of the lobbyists, it did not raise fares.
1: You know, Kate, over the last couple of minutes, listening to what you had to say, I just had an inspiration. I'm going to say this to the audience. Right now, I'm going to make sure there's a page that you can go to, passengercomplaints.airsafe.org. Go to passengercomplaints.airsafe.org. You'll have links to Kate's site. You'll have links to issues on baggage. You'll have links to consumer information that you need to deal with lost baggage, delayed flights, where to complain, how to join Kate's organization to promote airline passenger rights all at airlinecomplaints.airsafe.org well we hope this uh, generates uh, traffic in your direction and, yeah. and given given the events of the last uh, few days especially this is something i just saw in the news today united airlines increasing their charges for extra bags the first extra bag will be $25 and the second extra checked bag will be $100 <laughs> Now, as uh, the head of the Coalition for an Airline Passengers uh, Bill of Rights, do you think this is something that is uh, good for the consumer or not so good for the consumer?
2: I think it's terrible, and here's why. I think that if you've got people with frequent flyer miles who are booking tickets, and you and I are both aware, and maybe the public's not aware, that uh, a frequent flyer mile domestic ticket to the airline is worth about ten dollars so if somebody pays $100 for their bag to be checked, that bag is going to take priority over a passenger. So you may find yourself, because of a weight issue on the plane, out of a seat.
1: Well, here's a, uh, where it's good to point out to uh, the audience that very often, for most airlines, the profit center, the more profitable part of the airline flight is what's being carried in the hold of the aircraft,
2: not in right. the
1: passenger cabin. Yes. Two of the yes. largest airlines in the world, are FedEx and UPS. And yeah. last time I checked, they have no passengers.
2: No. <laughs> That's right. I just, uh, you know, well, and, and, and it's very expensive to ship things too, but I have a feeling that some very smart person is going to come up with a method of shipping people's bags much less expensively and without all of the hassles that people are having. You know, honestly, um, if you can fit everything in a carry-on, you are so much better off and it's so much less challenging than having to deal with going down and waiting for your bags. Uh, it, it has become a long protracted waiting period much of the time, even just to get your bags off of a plane. So even if your bags are unscathed and, and untilfered and they, they make it on that flight, you may have an hour wait for those bags to actually come off of the assembly line. I'm a firm believer now that if you can do everything with carry-on, it's, it's really to your advantage. There, there are a lot of issues with air travel and baggage handlers and, and security also, pilfering bags. I, I believe the, the numbers now are at about 83% of the stolen items are stolen by baggage handlers who are relatively underpaid and undermotivated and under-resourced, and about 17% are uh, TSA employees. And it doesn't seem to be a doggone thing that they can do to stop it. It hasn't gotten any better, and uh, and people are very frustrated about it, and um, and I'm hearing still about pilferage almost every day on our hotline.
1: Now, just to to highlight this a a little bit, there are a lot of people out there, myself included, who have issues with the entire TSA system, especially with how they recruit employees. So is it a question of TSA not paying them enough, or are they not screening the uh, the backgrounds of the people who join the TSA? Why is it that this uh, vanguard of protection for the United States, this uh, force which uh, should be respected by the public, has an issue with people stealing from people's luggage?
2: It is absurd, isn't it? I mean, I, I just... Yes, all of those things. They're not screening people well. They're not doing adequate background searches. Um, They probably should do personality profile testing for anyone that's taking such uh, an important security position. I have had more of my expensive makeup product seized going through TSA that were under three ounces, actually under two ounces, and actually, had TSA miss the mace that I had in the bag that I didn't realize I'd left in the bag until I arrived at my destination. And so, there's something very, very amiss with the whole, w- w- with regards to the whole security system, and, been, and it's got to be fixed.
1: Now, clarification: the, the theft that you had of the small uh, expensive items were these from check bags or from the ones uh, screened uh, through the gate?
2: actually, this wasn't even theft. This was them saying, okay, we have to take this. Uh, it adds up to more than oh, four ounces if all added together. And, and the only thing that they were interested in were the very expensive makeup products. And yet I had uh, a can of mace that was stuck down in my computer bag between the computer and, and, and the crease, in the crease of the bag that they completely missed.
1: So only the expensive makeup products were a potential security threat, is that what you're saying?
2: <laughs> and I really look threatening, <laughs> especially with my Passenger Bill of Rights badge on.
1: <laughs> well, and one, one other clarification. The numbers that you had for the theft by TSA employees, was this uh, out of the TSA or out of the BTS or out of another uh, government organization? or?
2: Actually, it was a television station out of Seattle that did a two-year report, and had uh, and, and they did their own research. So it's not oh, a government... Okay. I, I would have to find that station for you, but when I did 2020, they actually referred me to this guy who had done this two-year investigation of pilferage with sure. the baggage handlers. And um, during their investigation, Patrick Kennedy had been at SeaTac Airport and had had all of his souvenirs stolen from his bags.
1: Oh, my gosh. Well, I ask that question because I've tried mightily to find anything on the DOT, BTS, TSA website that talks about that very issue. Issues with employees, issues with employee theft for the TSA. I've been able to find nothing. So if you're going by the official government line, perhaps they don't have a problem.
2: Right. Right.
1: But I'll leave it at that, and I think the audience is going to be intelligent enough to figure out uh, where to go for better information.
2: Yeah, I I think that we are going to be able to – I hope, Todd, that that we are going to be able to force the government. If we can keep this alive and in front of people, um, which is not an easy task because the lobbyists are out there uh, and and the airlines are out there trying to stop us – we can force the government into uh, reporting these, these statistics, which is one of the things that we've, we started by uh, getting in the House legislation with regards to the diversions and cancellations.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Got uh, the House of Representatives to write into the bill that diversions and cancellations had to be counted for time on the tarmac. But that bill is not moving on the Senate side right now, so, you know, it's not done. And I think that's something else that people need to know. There is no bill yet. As hard as we've fought, there is no bill. And people need to, to uh, advocate, and they need to stop expecting someone else to do for them. Um, a lot of people will call, and they want uh, our organization. I know this is going to sound really hard, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that you've been through this as well. So you can certainly edit this out if you want. Okay. <laughs> but but um, what I'm going to say is, is hard, but I gave up my job to run this cause. And I am hearing from people every day who are having problems with the airlines. But many of the people I hear from have not written a letter, hmm. not even to the airlines. They want to call and complain about what's going on, and they want something done about it, but they have not taken the steps that they need to take to make sure you know and we we like you have been willing to help them get their their complaints submitted to the department of transportation and to the airlines and give them executives of the airlines names and the addresses and whatever we can do to facilitate helping them to get their complaints to the right people so that the government statistics are correct and so that they get the most compensation they can for whatever has happened but people really, really, really need to understand that no one person can make a change. That they have to all be active in this process. And um, it's tough.
1: Now, you, you mentioned that because, as I understand, you travel constantly to state legislatures all over the country as well as to uh, the federal government in Washington, D.C., advocating for legislation.
2: Yes. Yes, I'm in Rhode Island right now. I uh, traveled almost all night uh, yesterday and all day, all night for last and all day yesterday to get here. And um, and I will be testifying today and then I will fly home tomorrow. And I will then uh, be, be doing a press conference on the 12th in California that the California bill will be introduced.
1: The 12th, 12th. that's February 12th, 2008.
2: Yes February twelfth two thousand and eight I uh, will uh then be back in Washington state for their uh for the hearing of the House version of their bill of rights. I got a call today from Illinois that they're considering doing a state bill of rights um, every one of these states that proposes a bill now because the federal government has not moved and 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 act become active on this and and gotten the bill done. Now the states are taking it into their own hands, and that means people need to testify. And uh, I have found relatively few people who have been willing to come testify, even though we have all of these members that donate and that uh, are are – we do have people writing letters. We do have people doing different things. I haven't found a lot of people other than people wanting to come to Washington, D.C., In the individual states i haven't found people that have been willing to take a day off from work and come testify and the truth is the states want to hear from their people they want to hear from me but they also want to hear from their own constituents and they want them to show up and show that this is a matter of interest to them in much the same way that an accident would be
1: and by the way you just inspired me to do something else uh, as you know, I have the, the complaint form on airsafe.com, and I literally get hundreds of complaints submitted every month. I'm going to change the system or have the system changed so that whenever you submit a complaint, the page that flashes up will invite you to contact the Coalition for an Airline Passengers Bill of Rights and if you would like to, to testify, to tell your oh. story to your state legislature or to the federal government.
2: That is excellent. That, is, that would just be incredible. Uh, you know, we really, really need that kind of support. Um, I think that I think that what's very different about an airline accident and a and an issue like this that's not as grave for people is that they tend to feel very slighted by the airline and they want things to change, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have quite as permanent an effect. And so they they tend to get on with their lives. They'd like to see something change, but. They aren't necessarily quite as proactive (laughs) as they might be if they were stuck on a jet themselves for 11 hours
1: (laughs) on the ground. The message message may be we all are affected by the system. All of us can do something. You have your organization. I have my organization. We have our websites. But the individuals don't have to do what we're doing. They can do what they can do, which is testify, (laughs) which is complain, which is write letters, which is to take action, not just get angry.
2: Yes, and and they can donate money. They can answer the hotline. There are so many different things that people can do.
1: We thank you for being here with us today, and we'd like to have all of you visit the Coalition for an Airline Passengers Bill of Rights at flyersrights.org.
0: Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about Kate Hanai's group, the Coalition for Airline Passengers Bill of Rights, please visit airlinecomplaints.airsafe.org. That's airlinecomplaints.airsafe.org.